the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. That show hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast. I'm your host, Nick DiGilio. I'm a podcaster, comedy writer, performer, graduate of Second City, and a Saturday Night Live expert and historian. And each week, we look back at everything SNL. The best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons, full casts, behind-the-scenes stories, episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes I won't, but with every episode, I will always prove that that tired, old cliche that you hear all the time, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. And I do not have uh, a guest uh, this week uh, on the podcast, and we are going to talk about one specific episode, concentrating on one specific incident that took place on that episode. This is episode number 17, and it is entitled Sinead O'Connor... And the Pope. You probably remember, if you watched it, where you were, what was going through your mind, and uh, everything about that moment in time, if you were watching it live, as I was. The incident that we're talking about took place on uh, uh, October 3rd, 1992, in episode, uh, the second episode of season 18. So season 18, episode two, Tim Robbins was your host, and Sinead O'Connor was your musical guest. And Sinead did something that has gone down in history as one of the most radical things ever done on live television and certainly one of the most radical things ever done on Saturday Night Live. It caused a huge stir. It, some people say, changed the course of Sinead O'Connor's career and has certainly gone down in history as uh, as one of the most memorable moments in live television. Um, And that is when, during uh, Sinead O'Connor's second musical performance of the evening, she took out a picture of the Pope, tore it up to pieces, and said, fight the real enemy. Um, And it caused quite a stir. Uh, So we are going to talk about that episode, that incident, why it happened, how it happened, what was happening in the studio and around the world while it happened and immediately afterwards, and uh, the the, uh, aftermath uh, for Sinead O'Connor and what happened immediately afterwards, a little uh, time afterwards and years later. And then the realization that people were like, you know what? She's right. She was right to protest what was happening. And she was right to do what she did. And it took a little while for people to actually catch up with the fact that what she was trying to do, the message that she was trying to state, was an important one and one that needed to be talked about and one that was filled with absolute and utter truth. So going back to October 3rd, 1992... Tim Robbins was your host. At that time, Tim Robbins was uh, promoting his new movie, Bob Roberts, uh, which had come out in the, in the fall of 1992. And he was also in The Player at that time, which was Robert Altman's uh, satire of Hollywood. And that was in theaters at that time. And he was, it was, he was all over the place. He was very, very popular at that time. Um, and he had had a, 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 you know, a, a very well-known and well-documented relationship with Susan Sarandon. They had met on the set of Bull Durham, and they were dating, and they, you know, they were not married, but they had children together, and they were a couple. And Tim Robbins, by the way, w- was and still is known as a guy who's very outspoken politically. He and Susan Sarandon at that time and for a few years following that, you know, probably 10 years following that, they went out of their way to make political statements everywhere they went, whether it would be, you know, in talk shows or on talk shows or in TV land, you know, everywhere or at the Oscars. Um, They were very left leaning, very liberal 
and very, very vocal in their political beliefs to the point where a lot of people who just simply wanted to turn on the TV got to the point where they did not want to see Tim Robbins. They did not want to see Susan Sarandon. They did not want to hear their political musings or messages, even if they agreed with them. I'm one of those people. I am left-leaning, and I am liberal. And it got to the point where I was like, oh, God, here's Tim Robbins. Here's Susan Sarandon again. Can we just shut up and be entertained? And so at the time, on October 3rd, 1992, the person that most people were concerned about making some sort of statement was Tim Robbins. Now, Sinead O'Connor had obviously been sort of a controversial figure up until that point, but Sinead O'Connor, if you remember, at that time was coming off of the biggest success of her career. Her album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, sold millions and millions of records. It was a platinum-selling album. It was the biggest thing she had ever done. And her single, the cover of the Prince song, Nothing Compares to You, was the biggest single of years. And her career reached a zenith. She went through the roof. She sold out concerts. She was everywhere. That album was huge. Nothing Compares to You was massive. The video, one of the classic videos of all time, Sinead O'Connor at that time was a superstar, was huge. Now, her follow-up record, like Sinead is, is prone to do, uh, was nothing like the album that made her all that money and gave her all that success. The album that she was promoting on this episode, on October 3rd, 1992 on SNL, was an album called Am I Not Your Girl? And it was her very strange and purposely non-commercial follow-up to I Do Not, Have what I've, uh, I, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. And it was basically a, an album filled of covers, mostly jazz standards, which is not normally what someone who has a number one album, number one song, and has the biggest moments of her career should follow up with. But that's Sinead. So Sinead O'Connor, one of the biggest pop stars in the world, promoting her new adventurous record. And Tim Robbins, who is in a movie called Bob Roberts, which was very, very political, very, very left-leaning, and very, very preachy. He's the guy that everybody thought was going to make a statement. In fact, Lorne Michaels was uh, a little concerned because at the time, NBC was owned by General Electric, by GE, and Tim Robbins wanted to come out wearing an anti-GE t-shirt, and he, wa and he wanted to do a sketch that was blasting GE, and it wasn't funny, and it didn't make the final cut, but the guy that they were most concerned about making any kind of statement, wasn't the person that they were concerned about was not Sinead O'Connor, Again, number one pop star in the world at that time, promoting her new record. But it was Tim Robbins, very left-leaning, very liberal, very political, who along with Susan Sarandon will not shut their mouths about politics everywhere. Bob Roberts is out, which is a very political movie filled with all kinds of political statements. And yet the woman that made the big statement that night was Sinead O'Connor. So um, Sinead O'Connor, by the way, uh, this was her second appearance on the show. Her first appearance was uh, season 16, episode one, the season premiere. Um, that would be uh, September 29th, 1990. Kyle MacLachlan was the host. Uh, a great episode, by the way. Uh, a really, a terrific episode. If you go back and watch that one, it's a really good one. But that's when she made her first appearance. But a little controversy always tags along on Sinead O'Connor because her first appearance was scheduled um, in May, May 12th of 1990, when Andrew Dice Clay was the host. She, along with Nora Dunn, boycotted that episode because of the kind of things that Andrew Dice, was, uh, Andrew Dice Clay was saying, the things in his act. Um, the, the, the Andrew Dice uh, Clay f fans um, uh, and the followers were really controversial, and everything that he was doing was anti-woman and racist and anti-immigrant, and his stuff was considered very Nazi-like at the time. And, uh, and his movie, uh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, ended up bombing. And basically at that point, uh, Andrew Dice Clay's career was kind of over. He had that 15 minutes of huge, huge fame where, you know, he sold out Madison Square Garden for three nights. He was one of the biggest comedy acts in the world. And then people just turned on him and said, your message is mean and everybody hated him. Um, and so when he was scheduled to host in May of 1990, Saturday Night Live, uh, there was a lot of controversy about it. Lorne Michaels was pressured to pull him as the host. He wouldn't. Lorne Michaels said, I'm going to let this guy host. He's got a very big you know, following. Uh, but as, as a form of protest, Nora Dunn refused to perform. She was a cast member at the time. And Sinead O'Connor, who was supposed to be the musical guest, pulled out. And they boycotted. So her original appearance was supposed to be in May of 1990 with Dice. She pulled out. She boycotted along with Nora Dunn. By the way, I'm doing a full episode on 
uh, of of this show, of this podcast, on that entire episode of The Dice Appearance, which I actually think is a very funny episode, and I actually um, thought it was really unfair the way that people really attack Dice. Now, I'm not going to defend the guy completely for you know some of the content, and I'm definitely not going to offend his idiot fans, but uh, it, it was just an interesting change in how, I mean, he became a target. But we'll get to that in another time. So anyway, her first appearance, she boycotted. Her second appearance was in 1990 with Kyle MacLachlan, and, uh, and that would counted as her first appearance. So her second appearance would be October 3rd, 1992. So the show starts, and no one knows what's going to happen. Uh, I will tell you about how what Sinead did, uh, how it changed. The song that she was originally supposed to sing was not Bob Marley's War. Um, she was originally not supposed to do an acapella number, and she was originally supposed to hold up a picture of a starving child, not a picture of the Pope. And this was all done as a surprise to every single person in that room uh, and in that studio. So uh, let's go back and look at the episode. So the episode begins with a cold open with Dana Carvey playing Ross Perot. And again, this is the fall of 1992, so we're right in the middle of a campaign. We're right in the middle of an election uh, leading up to when uh, Bill Clinton would be uh, elected president of the United States. So you got uh, Dana Carvey as Ross Perot doing the uh, Ross Perot doing the cold open. So you basically get an idea exactly where we are time wise. So Dana Carvey does a very funny cold open as Ross Perot. And then the opening happens. So I thought I would just play the opening. Listen to the to to to, to the first of all, listen to the cast because it's a very, very terrific cast, really strong cast. And listen to how fun and innocent it is to listen to this opening. Nobody knows that about an hour later, the shit's going to hit the fan. (laughs) Everybody will be running for cover. People will be confused. The whole phone lights and everything is going to go nuts. So this is just the beginning of the show. Ah, I wonder what's going to happen. This is just the opening. Kevin Nealon, Chris Rock, Rob Schneider, Julia Sweeney, featuring Ellen Cleghorn, Melanie Hopsall, Jim Meadows, Adam Sandler, David Spade, with Al Franken, Robert Smigel, G.E. Smith and the Saturday Night Live Band, musical guest, Sinead O'Connor, and your host, Tim Robbins. All right, so, starts out innocently enough, and in fact, ladies and gentlemen, Tim <laughs> There's Tim Robbins, and, and, and in fact, if you listen to that opening, uh, Sinead O'Connor gets a nice pop by the audience. Like they say, musical guest Sinead O'Connor, you can hear the audience go, ah. Well, that's all going to change within an hour. So that was your innocent opening. And as the show proceeded, here's what happened. Uh, Tim Robbins did his monologue. Nothing very political. It was a very fun monologue, uh, obviously promoting the, the fact that the player is out and that Bob Roberts is out. And Bob Roberts, by the way, was a character that was introduced on SNL, that was created on SNL for a short film years earlier when Steve Gutenberg <laughs> was the host. Uh, and Bob Roberts was a character that was actually introduced on SNL. And so he mentions that and they talk about that. And later in, in this in this episode, he will play Bob Roberts again. So, uh, so it was it was really interesting. Tim Robbins comes out; he's the host, and uh, everything is okay. So, first sketch is Kirochi's Pizza, which features Robbins and Kevin Nealon, Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, and Robert Smigel making a, a, an appearance. And it's a pizza; it's a wacky pizza thing. They go on to the next sketch: Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. We all love Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. These wonderful little uh, little like uh, 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 you know. Moments of wisdom from the wonderful Jack Handy, great writer. 
and then Founding Fathers was a bit that uh, Robbins did with Nealon, Hartman, Meadows, uh, Farley, Schneider, Spade, Ellen Cleghorn, and an appearance by Tom Davis. So, uh, and it was a father, a, f- a founding fathers thing. Again, it was political, but also not, you know, not making any huge statements. And then cooking with Dennis Miller was your next sketch. Dana Carvey playing Dennis Miller. At this point, Dennis Miller was off the show. Kevin Nealon had taken over for Weekend Update. Dennis Miller was gone and doing his own thing and doing his own uh, talk show at that time. But Dana Carvey still would come out and do his killer Dennis Miller. Because Dana Carvey did, uh, I, I, think, I think my favorite impression that, that Dana Carvey ever did was Dennis Miller. And I would love it. It was always classic when he would do it on update sitting next to Dennis Miller. When he'd have the wig and do the mannerisms the <laughs> and the whole, the whole thing. Uh, but Dana Carvey uh, did uh, Dennis Miller hosting a cooking show. David Spade was the host or was the guest. And that bit was hilarious. And Phil Hartman was the announcer. And, and, you know, and it was really, really funny. It was a great bit. And then they did a commercial for That's Not Yogurt with Kevin Nealon and uh, Julia Sweeney. The voiceover was by Phil Hartman. And it was a very funny sketch. Not, you know, a very solid show so far. And then Sunday morning videos with Tim Robbins and Rob Schneider. Not very funny. Um, it was a takeoff on MTV, on your Sunday morning videos, and also a takeoff on news shows. Uh, and then Sinead O'Connor gets introduced. But it's okay, because it's only her first musical performance. She has a whole orchestra with her, a string section, and she does a beautiful version of Success Has Made a Failure of Our Home, which was one of the songs on her new album, um, uh, Am I Not Your Girl? So she performs without any problems, beautiful she gets a huge round of applause from the audience. Everybody in the studio is happy. Sinead does her first song. Then we move on to, of course, Weekend Update. Kevin Nealon is your, uh, is your anchor. Lots of stories about uh, the election. Lots of stories about Clinton and so on and so forth. David Spade does a very funny Hollywood minute. And then we go back and we've got Larry King live with Kevin Nealon. Um, and uh, Kevin Nealon is playing Larry King. Tim Robbins is, uh, is on it as well. And Dana Carvey is on it. Uh, as well and that's a that's a pretty funny that's a pretty funny thing it's very funny though but Kevin Nealon doing update and Kevin Nealon doing Larry King both of those things would be taken over by Norm Macdonald in, in, in a couple of years I just find that interesting that Kevin Nealon was your anchor on update Kevin Nealon was your guy to do the Larry King but then that all changed when Norm Macdonald came on and then we had a, a, a wacky imitation of, of Tory Spelling by Melanie Hutzel Melanie Hutzel who was known for her imitations of Basically, an imitation of uh, uh, Jan Brady um, and, uh, and Tori Spelling. So she did her Tori Spelling. And then it's time for Sinead O'Connor's second musical performance. And this is when it gets weird. <laughs> Very weird. So Tim Robbins introduces her. And what originally she was supposed to do a different song. She was supposed to do a song from her album, but she changed and I'll get to that story in a minute. She changed it. She did a cover of an a cappella version of Bob Marley's War. And the idea was that she was going to do this song. And uh, ultimately, she was going to change the meaning of that song from racism, move it on to something else, and move it into the world of starving children and hold up a picture of a starving child. But at the end of the song, she finishes the song and then holds up a picture of the Pope. Um, and... This happens. We know we will win. We have confidence in the victory of good over evil. Fight the real enemy. Okay, I'm going to play that back again, and, and I want you to listen very closely. First of all, like you hear, and you hear, what? You hear people kind of in the background, what's happening? Uh, when she says evil, she holds up the picture of the Pope. When she says the word evil, she holds up a picture of the Pope. There's a close-up of her. The camera is on her, but she holds up the picture of the Pope, and now the Pope's picture is in full focus. And then she tears up the picture of the Pope and says, fight the real enemy. And listen again. Listen very closely. Once it goes silent, listen very closely because you can hear, you can hear a little laughter. You can hear tech people kind of talking a little bit. And there's nothing but stunned silence in the room. 
nothing but stunned silence. Now, one of the reasons why there's stunned silence is because Dave Wilson, who was the director at that time, did not activate the applause sign because obviously she deviated from what she did in rehearsal, lied to everybody, and then tears this picture of the Pope up. So he did not activate the applause sign. So no one applauded. She just blows out the candles and walks off stage after she tears up the picture of the Pope. And again, the silence is deafening. It's absolutely deafening. (laughs) It's unbelievably shocking, unbelievably silent. And again, listen very closely in the background to hear a couple of people with headsets on and players like, you'll hear a and a little bit of laughter and a oh and a whoa, like when the Pope's picture comes out and she starts to tear it. Listen very closely to the background if you can actually get through the impenetrable, monstrous silence of what happens after this. But listen very, very closely. Please do. We know we will win. We have confidence in the victory of good over evil. Fight the real enemy. Okay. So I just wanted you to hear that (laughs) again and people moaning. So now everything goes apeshit backstage. Everything goes nuts. She just tears up a picture of the Pope. They don't know what to do. People are running around backstage. She goes off to the dressing room. Her manager is banging on the door saying, there's no way I can get you out of this. You are in some fucking trouble right now. She says she doesn't care. That's exactly what she wanted to do. And the idea was that she wanted to bring up the fact that there has been sexual abuse under the guise of the, of the Catholic Church for many years. She experienced it. Tons of, tons of young people in Ireland experienced it, and this was her way of protesting what, what she wanted to talk about and changes that needed to be made in, within the Catholic Church and all of the unbelievable abuse and sexual abuse that had been happening under the nose of the Catholic Church and basically letting it go. And so that was her protest. And of course, years later, we would all realize that, yeah, she was right. She was on to something. And it was protest. It was something that needed to be protested and talked about. And it has been since and will continue to be. But she was one of the first people to do it. And she did it in a crazy and ballsy way, admittedly. So now she's in her dressing room. Everybody's going nuts. What you have to understand, though, now they have to continue with the show. They've got three more sketches to do and good nights. So the next sketch was that they follow this up. They go to commercial. They come back from commercial. The next sketch is Sweet Jimmy, the world's nicest pimp. So that, that's, your, that's your next sketch. You are following up <laughs> Sinead O'Connor ripping up a picture of the Pope while every single person who watched it is stunned. Every single person in the studio, the audience, is nuts. The crew has gone nuts. Lorne, Dave, everybody, the writers are all like, what the fuck is going on? What is happening? Everybody who just watched this cannot believe what they just saw. And now we're going to watch Sweet Jimmy, the world's nicest pimp. Didn't work out very well. Tim Robbins was in that. Melanie Hutzel, Ellen Cleghorn, and Rob Schneider. Then they follow it up with, unfortunately, Al Franken has to come out. He was a special guest that night. And he does a daily affirmation with Stuart Smalley, one of our favorite recurring characters, who is also the star of the best SNL movie of all time. Uh, the Stuart Smalley movie. And um, uh, Stuart saves his family, by the way, if you have not seen it. So now Al Franken has to do a daily affirmation sketch as Stuart Smalley. Meanwhile, it's chaos backstage. They don't know what they're going to do. Is she going to come out for good nights? Uh, everybody wants there. There are people that want to kick her out. There are all kinds of crazy shit is happening in and around the studio at this time. So meanwhile, Al Franken's got to do a daily affirmation with Stuart Smalley. And then the final sketch of the night, the 1250 sketch, is a Bob Roberts sketch. Okay, so now they have to get political. So now this character that Tim Robbins created, which is overtly political, very, very liberal, and out of control in terms of what this character does (laughs) to make statements. And this is about book burning, so the sketch that they have to do, the 1250 sketch, is Tim Robbins as the very controversial, very political character, Bob Roberts, 
And they do a sketch about book burning at a campfire. So they're at a campfire and it's book burning. And it's Julia Sweeney and Chris Farley, Rob Schneider, Melanie Hutzel, David Spade, and Kevin Nealon. And again, Bob Roberts, this political character, and it's all about book burning. So 10 minutes earlier, we just saw a woman tear up a picture of the Pope on live TV. And they did a sketch about a uh, nice pimp named Sweet Jimmy, a daily affirmation sketch with Al Franken, and finally, a political sketch about book burning. This follows Sinead O'Connor surprising everyone by tearing up a picture of the Pope. And then the good nights happen. Now, at this point, Lauren says that he wants Sinead on stage. A lot of people were like, she shouldn't do the good nights. They should kick her out. She should not do good nights. She lied to us. She tore a picture of the Pope, blah, blah, blah. But Lauren was like, look, she wanted to make a statement. She made her statement. She lied to us. Fine. But she should get up on stage for good nights because, you know, she did her thing. She did her two musical performances at the end of every episode of Saturday Night Live. The host is up there. The musical guest is up there. And they do good nights. So Lauren says, yes, Sinead goes up on stage for good nights. So they get up on stage for good nights. Let me play that back for you. And then I'll explain to you what happens during that and what was happening around that. So. Uh, during good nights, you know, normally the host says thank you, makes some sort of statement, and then thanks whatever surprise guests there were. You know, if there was a celebrity or like in this case, Al Franken showed up in this case. And then they always thank the musical guest and usually hug the musical guest and say, hey, I'd like to thank the musical guest and then say something to the audience about how thrilling it was to be there. Well, uh, this is what Tim Robbins did. And in the audience, by the way, was Tim Robbins' uh, partner at that time. Susan Sarandon, again, two big Hollywood liberal political hotshots, actors and actresses, are there. And she was in the audience. So during the good nights, this is what happened. And let me explain to you visually what was going on after you listen to this. This is how good nights went. And again, Sinead O'Connor on stage next to Tim Robbins after the whole uh, Pope thing. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I, I just want to take a, a second right here and uh, say happy birthday, my love. Happy birthday, happy birthday, my love, was to Susan Sarandon, who was in the audience, and they present her with flowers, and Susan Sarandon has a baby with her, with, uh, 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 with their, their child, uh, who was a baby at the time, obviously. And so Susan Sarandon is presented flowers, and she's holding the baby, and everybody's like, oh, isn't that sweet? Um, and meanwhile, there's you know Sinead O'Connor standing next to him. He mentions nothing about anything, does not mention Sinead O'Connor, does not say anything, um, and is wearing an anti-GE t-shirt at the time. <laughs> Says uh, goodnight to everybody. He loves Susan Sarandon, and that's it. As the music swells, everyone steers clear of Sinead O'Connor. Tim Robbins doesn't say anything to her. He turns his back on her and walks to somebody else, and they do some hugging. And you know how everybody hugs at the end, and they all say, they all high-five, and they kiss, and the musical guests and the celebrities and whoever else, they all hug and say happy, you know, do their good nights. And no one goes near Sinead O'Connor except for Dana Carvey, which made me, like, like Dana Carvey more. I'm not the hugest Dana Carvey fan, to be, to be honest with you. But he was the only one who came up to her and hugged her and shook her hand afterwards. Everybody stayed away from her like she was the plague. Tim Robbins turned, her back, turned his back on her, walked away. Everybody steered clear of her except for Dana Carvey. He was the only one who gave Sinead like a hug. And then she just kind of stood around and then like walked away. And nobody said anything to her. They stayed as far away from her as possible. And that was the end of the show. Then the craziness began. Um, the phone lights lit up, everything went nuts. There were protests, all kinds of craziness happened. And here, um, are the reactions. Lauren Michael said, I did not know this was coming. 
What everybody forgets is that when the music wasn't it wasn't the closing thing, there was still an act afterwards. So now Sinead tears up the picture and we have to go to a comedy act. Well, there's complete silence in the studio when it happens. The switchboards are lighting up and not everyone is near that switchboard. So we're getting ready for the next sketch, uh, which is not going to play well. I was stunned and also, but not so much by what was happening, but by the guy in the audience who was trying to charge Sinead and destroy the show while she was uh, while she was singing, and he had to be taken away by security. So what people don't know, what Lauren Michaels says, in addition to the the show going completely nuts, her surprising everybody, doing this incredible thing by tearing up a picture of the Pope, there was a dude who tried to rush the stage and kill Sinead O'Connor. There was an actual guy that had to be taken by security and pulled away, which might have been a little bit counted for a little bit of the of, of the noise that we kind of heard. So this was happening. So in addition to that, they have to take care of the problem of a guy in the audience who is trying to rush the stage to destroy Sinead O'Connor. So that's happening. <laughs> Other responses. Warren Littlefield, who uh, was an NBC executive at the time, said, all in all, even when it was, oh, my God, Sinead just tore up a picture of the Pope. I said to Lauren, Lauren, uh, we've gone too long without controversy. That meant something was wrong. This show is supposed to rock. It's supposed to be the adolescent that's not obedient to authority. And if we lose that, we don't have that show. So Warren Littlefield was fine with what she did. Lauren Michaels then said, I think it was the bravest possible thing for Sinead to do. She had been a nun, and to her, the church symbolized everything that was bad about growing up in Ireland the way she grew up in Ireland. And so she was making a strong political statement, so good for her. He just didn't like the fact that she lied. Rick Ludwig, who was the vice president of Late Night at NBC, said it was a truly Danny Thomas spit take moment for my part. I jumped out of my chair and I was in Burbank watching the live feed from my office and I knew, shit, we're in trouble. Dave Wilson, the director, uh, I was a little unnerving. I was more upset that she had hidden it all from us, not by the act itself. In rehearsal, her manager asked if we could use only one camera because of the type of song it was and they didn't want to be interrupted by intercutting. And then he asked if we could hold up a picture of a starving child and that's what she did in rehearsal, and it was a very tender moment. And then, to change it all and into this whole Pope thing, I think everybody felt that they would have been railroaded, and I was angry. Um, I made sure that nobody pushed the applause button when we went to, to a quiet studio. Um, uh, I gave that order. So again, not so, you know, the people behind the scenes were not so pissed off about her tearing up a picture of the Pope, because again, her message was strong and an urgent one. They were just pissed that she lied to them. Lenny Pickett, the band leader at that time, uh, who has been a part of the SNL for many, many years, said, things like the Sinead O'Connor incident have happened from time to time. Somebody's done something outrageous. And I hate to say this, but it's kind of more delightful than anything else. To see something that amazing on live TV, it's what everybody secretly is waiting for. That's why it's still an interesting show after all these years, because people know that anything might go down. And when it does, it's exhilarating as much as anything else. I mean, it's not like you want to see those sorts of things, but at the same time, when they do happen, you're aware that you were just participating in an event. And to know that there's always a potential for that to occur is really wonderful. And he's right. It was one of the greatest moments in live TV, a moment that everybody is still talking about, um, a moment that, uh, that she created on live television. And that's one of the things, you know, it's called Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and those things happen. Uh, you know, the, the, the responses were quick. They were urgent. They were insane. Uh, a nationwide audience saw what she did. The phones lit up. Uh, the New York Daily News had a cover story called Holy Terror the next day. NBC received 500 calls during the night and into Sunday morning, 400 more on Saturday. They received a total of over 4,500 calls, and only seven of them were positive for Sinead O'Connor. And contrary to the rumor, NBC was not fined by the FCC, and uh, you know they have no power over that behavior. And NBC did not edit the performance out of the West Coast feed, the tape delay. But... NBC broadcasts reruns of the episode. They do include her dress rehearsal. So it did not, it does not, if you see it now, it does not include the performance where she tears up the picture of the Pope. It includes her dress rehearsal performance. So uh, they did hide it that way, but you can find it online. But that wasn't the end of it. It continued. 
Um, it was all over the press. And at that time, you had daytime talk shows, you had talk radio, you had late night shows, and they just jumped all over it. Sinead became this huge target, targets of late night monologues and hosts, targets of talk radio everywhere. And you have to understand that the, the, the tabloids were all over the place. And this was on television constantly. And your shows like your Entertainment Tonight's and all these other, you know, you know E and your 24-hour news channels and stuff like that. This was obviously before the Internet. I can't even imagine what social media, how it would have blown up insanely the second it happened and how, you know, how horrible, you know, this would have been for Sinead even more than it already was. And it was insane. It was nonstop. It was hatred for Sinead O'Connor. It was boycott her records. It was, let's do this. She, she's, I mean, immediately, religious groups were all over her. The Catholic Church made a statement. The Pope made a statement. Everybody hated Sinead O'Connor. She was, you know, public enemy number one. She was a massive target in terms of the press and in terms of religion and in terms of everybody who wanted to take a side. Everybody hated Sinead O'Connor at this point. Uh, They were bulldozing and steamrolling copies of her CDs. They were holding protests. People were burning her records. They were burning her CDs. They were burning pictures of her. People outside of churches were protesting. Everybody hated Sinead O'Connor, and it was at a, a fever pitch of hatred was aimed at her nonstop from the moment it happened for weeks and weeks after. And this goes on. And then a week later, on October 10th, 1992, which would be season 18, episode 3, Joe Pesci is your host. And the Spin Doctors are your musical guests. Again, we're, we're showing you exactly what time period this was. Joe Pesci came out, and this was his monologue one week after Sinead O'Connor. And in that week, by the way, in that week, nonstop barrage of hatred and press for Sinead O'Connor. Undeservedly. But, I mean, it was nonstop. Everybody hated her. They were burning her effigies. They were burning her records. They were rolling them over. So for a solid week, it's been nonstop 24-hour hatred on television for her. This is Joe Pesci hosting Saturday Night Live one week later. Thank you very much. It's great to be here hosting Saturday Night Live. It's great for a couple of reasons. First, I have a new movie, The Public Eye, which opens next Friday. Second, it's Columbus Day. And that's important to me because I'm Italian. <laughs> but uh, before we start the show, there's a little matter I want to clear up. There was an incident on the show last week. Sinead O'Connor tore up a picture of the Pope. And I thought that was wrong. So I asked somebody to paste it back together. So we have that picture? There. I think that's a lot better. Thank you. Okay, case closed. I mean, why should I let it bother me, right? It wasn't my show. It was Tim Robbins' show. But I'll tell you one thing. She was very lucky it wasn't my show. Because if it was my show, I would have gave her such a smack. I would have grabbed her by her, her eyebrows. I would have, uh, what am I doing? I'm making myself crazy for what? I mean, she's just a kid, you know, why should I care? Anyway, I mean, the Pope's probably forgiven her already. I mean, he forgave that guy that shot him, right? <laughs> you know what? I saw this whole thing coming. I mean, stuff like this is bound to happen if he keeps forgiving people. I tell you, if somebody takes a shot at me, I don't forgive him so easy. But hey, I'm not like the Pope, I'm Italian. <laughs> Well, you notice she didn't tear up any pictures of any Italian popes. Yeah, right. I mean, like, that would never happen. Okay, I'm done. I'm not talking about it anymore. We have a great show. It's Columbus Day. Spin doctors are here. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Don't forget. Don't, don't, you don't want to miss. Yeah, you don't want to miss the spin doctors. <laughs> you certainly don't want to miss the fucking spin doctors. Uh, so anyway, uh, Joe Pesci threatening to smack, uh, Sinead O'Connor, grab her by her eyebrows since she doesn't have hair. Ha ha ha. Otherwise he'd grab her hair, but he's going to grab it. He's going to smack her. And I'm going to, oh my God. So Joe Pesci's reaction, dick. Okay. And then, uh, a few months later, um, Madonna was the musical guest 
on an episode. This was January 16, 1993, same season, season 18, episode 11. And Harvey Keitel was your host, and Madonna was the musical guest. Harvey Keitel, coming off of the success of Bad Lieutenant, and Madonna and he were filming a movie called Dangerous Game at the time. And Madonna was plugging her album Erotica and, of course, her big sex book. So Madonna, you know, not, not uh, you know, not unknown to, to controversy or protests of any kind, has had her issues with the Catholic Church. I mean, in 1989, when Like a Prayer came out, uh, she was, bur- you know, like really run over the coals by the Catholic Church for the video and lost, like, her deal with Pepsi. So she's not known for, you know, for not being controversial. In fact, she's one of the biggest controversial acts of all time, especially when it comes to images of Catholicism and, and Catholicism in general. Um, and I guess at that point she thought, you know what, I don't like anybody honing in on my market. Uh, I don't like it when other female uh, stars or female pop stars or singers who have sold millions of records uh, are going to attack the Catholic Church. That's just me. And I love Madonna, but this was another dick move. And I love Joe Pesci, too. But they both made dick moves. Madonna, again, appearing on January 16th, uh, 1993. Um, she did a terrific performance of Bad Girl, which is a great song. She did a fantastic performance of it. And then afterwards, she pulled out a picture satirizing uh, Sinead O'Connor. She pulled out a picture of Joey Buttafuoco. And you will hear that happening. So she performs Bad Girl. She holds up a picture at the end. You'll hear this. I'm going to play it. Of Joey Buttafuoco and then tears up the picture of Joey Buttafuoco and says, fight the real enemy. And again, giving you a pretty good indication of what time period we're talking about Joey Buttafuoco at that time. So Madonna did like a half-assed, made fun of what, a satire of what Sinead did. Anyway, here's what it is. And we'll talk a little bit more. I'll talk a little bit more about the reaction that Madonna had and the reaction that everybody else had to what Madonna did. So Madonna, of course, had to answer it. It was a pop star talking about the Catholic Church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to my band. Madonna pulling out a picture of Joey Buttafuoco, ripping it up into shreds and stamping it on the ground. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I'm not sure, you know, why she did it. This is, you know, like a bunch of months after it happened. Um, and she's promoting erotica and her sex book. <laughs> uh, it just seemed ill-conceived. And Madonna hasn't always, you know, when she swings for the fences, sometimes she hits a home run, sometimes you know, it's a foul ball. And that was a foul ball. And uh, some of the reaction, it says, when Catholic raised Madonna appeared later on that season on SNL, uh, she tore up a picture of Joey Buttafuoco. Uh, and she was attacking Sinead all over the press. For the Irish Times, she said, I think there is a better way to present your ideas than ripping up an image that means so much to a lot of people. She added, if she is against the Roman Catholic Church, then she needs, uh, she has a problem with them. She needs to talk about that. So uh, the New York Times came out and said, uh, it's professional jealousy, Madonna. After Madonna had herself gowned, harnessed, strapped down, and fully stripped to promote her album Erotica and her book Sex, O'Connor stole the spotlight with one photograph of a fully clothed man and the other vilification uh, that descended and O'Connor showed and she struck a nerve. So that got her mad. Bob Guccione, (laughs) Jr., of course, the guy responsible for Penthouse, wrote an article, an editorial in Spin Magazine not too much longer after uh, Madonna did her thing. And, um, and it said, Madonna savaged her in the press, obviously to fuel publicity for sex and the sales for her new album, Erotica. But when Sinead's controversy threatened to siphon some of the attention from the impending release of sex, Madonna conveniently found religion again. There's Bob Guccione making some sense. Uh, and in the November of 91, which was a year prior to all of this shit, Um, Sinead O'Connor, who had been ripped apart by Madonna again, said Madonna, she said, this is her in Spin Magazine, Sinead saying, Madonna is probably the hugest role model for women in America. There's a woman who people look up to as being a woman who campaigns for women's rights. And yet a woman who, in an abusive way towards me, said that I look like I had a run in with a lawnmower and that I am as sexy as a Venetian blind. 
Now, there's the woman that America looks up to for being a campaigner for women, and she's slagging off another woman like me for not being sexy. So uh, that's basically what happened in that department. So Madonna took a shot at her. Joe Pesci took a shot at her. Both of those things happened on Saturday Night Live. But 13 days after the Pope incident on SNL, the worst thing happened. Madonna showed up, or I'm sorry, Sinead O'Connor showed up at Bob Dylan's 30th anniversary celebration. And this took place on October 16th, 1992. It was at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Um, and it was a show to celebrate the release of the first album that Bob Dylan did, 30 years. This was 13 days after the incident on SNL. Um, and uh, George Harrison, Tom Petty, Neil Young, Johnny Cash, Stevie Wonder, the band, Lou Reed, Chrissy Hine, Tracy Chapman, and so many more were there. Chris Christopherson took the stage, and he said, I'm real proud to introduce the next artist whose name is become synonymous with courage and integrity. And then he introduces Sinead O'Connor. And what happens next is unbelievable. And I'm going to play the whole thing. This is about three minutes long. A lot of it is booing. What happens is Sinead comes out to an uproarious, deafening round of boos. Like 30,000 people or something, 18,000, how many thousand people? Thousands of people jamming Madison Square Garden for the 30th anniversary celebration of Bob Dylan. Boo her to no end. Like horrifying. Like, it is hatred. You can feel it. The hatred is palpable. The booing is deafening, and it will not stop. They boo her for minutes. Uh, her band tries to start up the song that she's, uh, that she's supposed to perform, um, and, uh, you, know, they, they, you know, they keep interrupting her, uh, and, and it just keeps getting worse and worse to the point where she stops them and then does something different. She starts to perform the song that she performed on SNL, the Bob Marley song. And uh, I, I will go into why this is just so wrong on so many levels. Um, but again, she walks out on stage. This is like her first major public appearance since she tore the picture up. And in those 13 days since that happened, nonstop hatred, nonstop press, nonstop people burning things and you know running over her, her records with uh, bulldozers and with steamrollers, nonstop hatred 24 hours a day on television, on talk radio, everywhere. It's the topic. Everybody's got an opinion, and most of the people hate her for what she did, even though, again, she was way ahead of her time. Now, I'm going to play this, and you'll hear it. There's a lot of booing going on here. And at one point, Chris Christopherson introduces her, walks off stage. The incessant, horrifying booing is nonstop. He comes back out and hugs her and whispers in her ear, don't let the bastards get you down, at, you know, right in front of everybody. And then he walks off stage. And that happens a little bit into it. But this is how it happens. Listen to the insanity of the hatred and the booze that are coming off of this. I'm going to play this whole thing, the whole performance and everything. This is it. This is uh, Sinead O'Connor being introduced to hatred at the Bob Dylan uh, 30th anniversary celebration, October 16th, 1992 in New York City. Ladies and gentlemen, Sinead O'Connor.
saying, don't let the bastards get you down. And he walks off stage. Chris Christopherson, don't let the bastards get you down. He walks off stage. They try to start the song again. By the way, the song that she's going to be doing is I Believe in You. And as you hear, it's not going to happen. Turn this up until the philosophy which holds one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned. Everywhere is war until there's no to say war until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race. I say war and until the ignoble and unhappy regime which holds all of us through child abuse, yeah, child abuse, yeah, subhuman bondage has been toppled, utterly destroyed. Everywhere is war. And with that, she walks off stage and collapses into the arms of Chris Christopherson, who takes her backstage and consoles her uh, after being uh, just completely annihilated by that crowd. Um, and again, um, it's it's insane and the the real irony the really sick and twisted and really screwed up irony here is that that celebration was supposed to be was for not supposed to be but it was for uh, the 30th anniversary of the first release of Bob Dylan's first album Bob Dylan by the way is a protest singer Bob Dylan is one of the most iconic protest singers of all time he fought battles to have the freedom to write songs that he wanted to write politically. He is a protest singer. He is a protest songwriter. So for the thousands of people who were supposed to be in that audience to celebrate the first true protest singer and protest songwriter to really break through America, it's unbelievably sick, twisted, sad, and ironic that these people who are supposed to be there to celebrate protest songs and freedom of speech and saying what you want to say with your art and in the words you want to say them, booed her off the stage for protesting, for singing a protest song, for making a political statement. To me, all the crap that Joe Pesci did, the dumb Joe Pesci thing and the stupid thing that Madonna did, and, you know, people complaining and making phone calls and, you know, rolling over her records, those are all horrible things and did irreputable damage to her, you know, her, her reputation and, like, her record sales and all that stuff. It screwed, you know, it screwed with her, with her career for sure. But to have what is supposed to be a safe place for people to say what they want to say, to celebrate political freedom, to celebrate... <laughs> To be protesting, to be able to protest, and to have these people who are supposed to be there for that, to boo her off the stage, to make her feel terrible, is unbelievable. It's unacceptable. And every single idiot in that audience at a fucking Bob Dylan concert should feel horrendous about themselves for what they did. He's a protest songwriter. He's a protest song singer. Sinead O'Connor is a protest songwriter. And she did something to protest things that were un, uh, that were that were not right. So the worst, the very worst part of this, besides the damage that it caused to her career, which she got over, and besides the horrible things and the jokes and all that stupid shit, the worst thing was it really opened up uh, people's eyes to, you know, people who think they know what Bob Dylan is about or think that they really are about freedom of speech 
and really do embrace protesting and political songs when in fact they don't. And they booed somebody off stage for doing just that. It's unbelievable. Uh, and then, you know, the, the reactions continued. She obviously, her career was stalled. Uh, her record stopped selling. She became a laughing stock. And, you know, her career obviously went in fits and starts. And people who really followed her career, like I do, I love her. Um, you know, they continued to follow her, but she didn't have any record sales anymore. She was continually just just like really, really trailed by this thing. Um, and in her book, she said, a lot of people uh, say or think that tearing up the Pope's uh, photo derailed my career, but that's not how I feel about it. I feel that having a number one record derailed my career and my tearing the photo put me back on the right track. I had to make a living performing live again, and that's what I was born for. I wasn't born to be a pop star you have to be a good girl for that, not to be too troubled. So she looks at it like her life is tearing up that picture. It wasn't the number one hit. It wasn't the album selling. It wasn't the video of nothing compares to you being so huge. It wasn't her winning all kinds of awards and being celebrated as a rock star. She didn't want that. What she really wanted to do was get a message out, and she did it. And then years later, we discover, yeah, horrible sexual abuse has been happening under the nose of the Catholic Church for decades. Um, and, and it's been going on for years. And, you know, and, and she felt it growing up in Ireland. In fact, that picture, the picture that she tore up, the picture of the Pope, that was from her mom. It was hanging on the wall in their house. It was her mother's picture, and it dated back to 1979. That was actually her mother's picture of the Pope. So this part of her life that she grew up with, that she had to endure, meant a lot to her. It damaged her, and it damaged a lot of other people. And that truth about the, the abuse among the, uh, among the Catholic Church, finally, years later, people were like, oh, yeah, she was really onto something. And then, you know, obviously, there have been, what was your explanation? Why did you do this, and how did it affect you? And then years later, obviously, this is something that has affected her. This is a Wall Street Journal interview that she did years later about tearing up the picture of the Pope and the aftermath. So many um, of your fans and many people do uh, associate you with the incident in 1992 when you were on Saturday Night Live and yeah. ripped up the Pope's photograph. Can you just describe your feelings on that looking back and how you still regard it today? Well, it's, it's, uh, if I never did anything else before or since, I, I would be happy. If, if that was all I ever did on planet Earth, that's what I would be. I'd be happy. I think it was a really important um, artistic and people often forget the song it, it accompanied you know but for an Irish female Catholic survivor of child abuse uh, to, uh, to have made such an artistic gesture and spiritual gesture really and um, it was very very important you know so I'm really proud that I, I got to be that person you know. You are so uh, and again you look back at it it's an incredible moment um, and a very important moment for her and something that needed to be said and a lot of light has been shown on that topic as years go by. And again, people are realizing, yeah, Sinead was right. We needed more attention given to this thing. Um, uh, there is a fantastic documentary film called Nothing Compares, which is about the life uh, and the up and town of the career of the great Sinead O'Connor, who I love. And obviously a huge part of this documentary, Nothing Compares, is about this incident and how the second half of her career was altered by what happened that night on Saturday Night Live. Here's a little bit of them talking about the SNL appearance, the tearing up of the picture of the Pope uh, in, in, in a little swatch from the movie, the documentary, Nothing Compares. I had come across an article about families who had been trying to lodge complaints against the church for sexual abuse and were being silenced. I had booked her on Saturday Night Live. Basically everything I had been raised to believe was a lie. She blows the candle out, she goes off stage. I had gone into the dressing room after her and I said, you know, I can't get you out of this. And she said, you know what, I don't want you to. If I acted at the time in the way that I felt would be most true to myself. And, uh, and it's true. And she continues to act that way. Um, she's uh, shined a light on those things and mental health, on mental illness. Um, she is still an activist. She still sings uh, and performs every once in a while. Uh, she's led one of the most interesting and strange lives of all time. And she is responsible for one of the greatest live moments in television history and also one of the greatest moments in SNL history. 
By the way, if you want to read Sinead's memoir, it's called Rememberings. It came out in 2021. It's a fantastic book. Uh, and it really, it goes over this incident on SNL in the book, Rememberings, and also the documentary Nothing Compares, which was a Showtime documentary available for streaming now. I would highly recommend the movie and the book as well if you want to get even more insight and background into what happened on SNL and uh, what happened afterwards in the aftermath. Now, this is not the first time a musical guest has gone a little nuts and done something crazy on live TV on SNL because you have fear, you have Elvis Costello, you have Rage Against the Machine, you have The Replacements, uh, and you have others. And uh, it's not the last time that something crazy will happen on SNL because it's live. And that's one of the thrills of Saturday Night Live. So uh, I will be talking about more outrageous things that have happened on Saturday Night Live that have happened on live television that SNL is responsible for as I continue on uh, that show. Hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast. I thank you for listening. Um, and I thank you for, for checking us out. And please subscribe, spread the word, rate and review us on every single platform. The Radio Misfits Podcast Network is where my podcast uh, my podcasts are, this one and Nick D Podcast. Uh, leave a voicemail, suggestions for the SNL podcast, qu- comments, questions, 773-417-6948. Email me, both podcasts, nickdpodcast at gmail.com with your uh, comments and questions or anything like that. My thanks to Jason Skaggs, who uh, composed and performed the opening theme and this closing theme. And my thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Radiomisfits.com, the home of tons of great podcasts. We'll see you next time when we talk more about the best sketch show of all time, Saturday Night Live. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. night and have a pleasant tomorrow.